definitely think he's endorsing. It's halal. Yeah, I mean, halal doesn't always mean healthy. I, <laughs> I don't know what this is. It's like some like fruit pastels are halal, I think. Some are. Some are, yeah. Some. some is are. this medicinal? Some are not because. Uh, oh no, hang on. Yeah, no, it's, it's they're not vegetarian. At one point, thalidomine was uh, medicinal. <laughs> then. People get born without limbs. Okay, we're going to address this on, on the show. We should, yeah. Well, we're recording. Royal Jelly. Oh, we're recording right now? Yeah. Um, so we have a, a product here. Our first BTEC sponsor <laughs> is Extra Joss. It's, it, it, it's, a, it's a fist with blood coming down <laughs> in it. And the 2013 Manchester City <laughs> team, a strong team um, on, team. on the front cover. I don't know what this is. Ginseng Korea. Ginseng. Ginseng. Well, I'm happy. I'm glad that you don't know what ginseng is, Michael. But when you get to my age, you need to start doing that kind of research. What uh, does this do to you? So, uh, extra joss, I assume. Basically, in a nutshell, for the sake of brevity, I reckon this basically gives you a little pep and gets your penis hard if you are a older gentleman. Oh, it's like quaaludes? Uh, no, quaaludes are downers. So after you finish the the uh, the chemsex mm -hmm. and you can't get to sleep because you've done too much coke, yeah, you take the quaaludes or barbiturates to so you can get to sleep. I only know what quaaludes are from Wolf of Wall Street. Oh, we're not even from Scarface. Nah. Yeah, yeah. So basically, in Scarface, um, Elvira Hancock, who is his uh, wife, mm -hmm. um, she has a co she's a coke addict, played by Michelle Pfeiffer. Legend. Oh, excellently. Excellently. Oh, absolutely. Oh, I found out as well that um, originally Meryl Streep was going to be cast to play Elvira. Oh, really? Yeah, but I think I think great choice. Oh, for Michelle for Pfeiffer. Sometimes these things just fall into place. So exactly. And so, um, yeah. This is this ginseng. It's got ginseng and vitamin B. So I guess it's supposed to give you up and pepped in all the places that may require you when you are doing a holiday in Thailand. Why is this in your possession, yeah. Mooch? Uh, because we 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 do them on the Three Speech podcast. Okay. Uh, and uh, th these are past their sell by date, so they're extra good. Okay. Which, uh, would it be taking away from the nuance and uniqueness of the Three Speech podcast if we no. did a gash bomb? I, I don't think it would be. Oh, so they're doing gash bombs on Free Speech. That is a, a not a rival podcast, but a different podcast where they talk about speech. <laughs> and, 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 and how it's under threat. How it's under threat? Yeah, in I, some I, places. I think I think at the moment where, where they sell this legally, probably it's under threat. Probably where they uh, in the Philippines. In the Philippines, is it maybe Philippines or I think it's Philippines. I should I should probably introduce this episode. Uh, I just realised because you may have heard a voice that is not Elliot Elliot Stills, and that's because we have a new uh, co-host lecturer on today's lesson. Elliot Balls of Stills. Elliot Balls of Steel. Uh, unfortunately, Elliot was kicked in the balls during um, his need to prove his masculinity <laughs> jujitsu sessions and oh he dear. had surgery where they had to drain his ball fluid because oh, so swelling. Yeah, swelling so yeah, yeah, yeah. We, very kindly we have legendary uh one of the best comedians in the uk which that means he's one of the best comedians in the world dame baptiste is not our guest this week he's our co-lecturer on this episode of of btech philosophers round of applause for, for dame baptiste everybody Ooh. Thank you, thank you very much. Thank you for such a wonderful introduction. Thank uh, you for for coming, OD Mike. Oh, appreciate. I've been thinking. I've been thinking about a new nickname because when I met you, they was Lil Mike. I was Lil Mike. But you're a man now. I got a little mustache. You got a little mustache, little beard going on. You're mm. established yourself, breaking hearts, mm. smashing stages, setting. You were kind of like my 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 mentor in terms of I was a ninja turtle and you were. I don't want to say that you were a rat. <laughs> but in this instance, we're speaking more literally we're, than we're, we're talking. Yeah. I'm gonna take it like Mr. Splinter. Sensei Splinter. Was it yeah. Doctor Splinter? Was Sensei it, was Splinter. Sensei Splinter. 
and you were sort <laughs> of doctor showing your age. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, who I also knew when I was making my bones, Mike. But yeah, no, it's uh, it was uh, you'd have wrapped in my turtle, yeah, and it meant it meant a lot, man. Um. Uh, or I, I mean, I, I would have gone for Jedi and younger Jedi. Oh, that, that would have been a yeah, lot we can, less we insulting. We can still Jedi together. Right? You my mace window to yeah. my... Um, Anakin. Anakin. Yeah. That didn't turn out well. Well, at initially, no. Mm. But what it meant was that Anakin found his own way. Um, of evilness. Yeah, of evilness. And, but sometimes you got to go on that journey. You went there for my evil journey, that's all. This is true. No one knows what Mace Windu was into before. I mean, it was Samuel Jackson. Mm. And so who knew what the motherfucker Where is was that doing? origin? Star Wars are in so many origins. Where's the Mace Windu origin? I story? feel like it's in the works. That definitely. I hope it is. Who would you like to see play? I could see you. I could do a young Mace Windu. You could do a young Mace Windu. This is a great idea. John Favreau, like, take a look, man. I thought you were suggesting John Favreau to play Mace Windu. <laughs> no, 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 I don't no, think, no. Think, I don't that think that's going to work. But he, he produces all the new stuff, right? He did, like, the uh, Mandalorian. Okay. Right? Yeah, yeah. And obviously he did... Uh, the Iron Man series. So uh, John Favreau was uh, was uh, integral to the resurgence of the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe, and now the Star Wars universe. So he is just there sleeping on a big old pile of Money. Disney cash. Yeah. Oh, Are you a man. big sci-fi fan? Uh, I dabble. I'd say I dabble. Mm. Like I've seen. I think I've seen a lot of the major stuff. Um, I'm more Star Wars than Star Trek, which I think is this distinction you got to make when you talk about sci-fi. Um, but uh, but yeah, I say I dabble. Like I'm. I'm more Red Dwarf than I am Doctor Who. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm probably... I'd say I'm probably more of a casual sci-fi fan. Yeah. And uh, I don't know what the basis for that is, whether it interests me or not. Like, you know, um, what's a big sci-fi thing at the moment, would you say? Um... I mean, maybe Westworld, but it's not of the moment. I've been, in, I've been into more... Westworld, but it was of the moment. But yeah, Westworld is a quite a significant one. I watched the new Dune movie. Yo, I've been Dune. seeing. Yeah, no, Dunes. 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 I saw posters. Avatar 2 is coming. Yeah. That's so. Do you know what's weird about Avatar? One of the highest grossing movies of all time. No cultural impact. So it came out in 2009. You never see anybody dressing up as Avatar people in blue. You never see it on people on the internet talking about. Avatar fan theories. It just yeah. came was the biggest left, and now it's back again like 13 years later. And it's just kind of a weird thing. Yeah, it's not. It's not. It's. I think it kind of predated. I think James Cameron films are more for the spectacle, and I think even though they do have some sci-fi relevance, I think just the size and scape of the stuff that he does is why people are into it. Because like, you know. I would say people probably you don't really see a lot of people doing Titanic cosplay either. Yeah, I think it has to get very specific. I would personally watch a like, you know, secret cinema. Yeah. If they do Titanic, which they may have done already, I'd go and watch that shit. I think also you have to think about. I like to hear white people scream. <laughs> 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 you know those black people on the show were like. What? <laughs> was that black people on the Titanic? <laughs> no, no, no. It was just the ones that didn't get on the boat. Oh, yeah, they yeah, were yeah, just yeah, watching yeah, from yeah, the distance, yeah, yeah. like. Ah. I definitely would. That's bitch. I could be as a supporting artist. <laughs> Enjoy. Oh, oh no! <laughs> uh, I don't. I think with the with the cosplay stuff, you gotta like dressing up with something from the Titanic is just it's not really recognizable enough. Do you know what I mean? And then there's also a big amount of effort to to blue yourself. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That's there's a lot of effort. There's to a blue lot. Yourself. It's it's more of an effort than a payload. Whereas if you're just wearing a robe and it's kind of a thing, it's kind of it's also hard to believe that. And I think one of the big things as well that we're leaving out is the fact is that. Uh, one thing about the, I believe their names was it the Nab Naboo in what the in, uh, Avatar? Oh, I, the peep blue people. Yeah, See, I don't even know. We don't even. I, I want to say Naboo, but I might be wrong. But the point is that the blues. 
the blues are very tall people. Yes. And so if you do cosplay as one of them and you are below a particular height, then people yeah. will assume you're a Smurf. Yeah. Right. Joel Domit has a very good joke about it. Yes. That, that I've told a lot of it already. But <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think there's that line of, are you going to be... And nowadays it's like, are you a... Um, when these on oh, the Navi, that's it. The Navi people. Navi. Mm-hmm. Are you a Smurf or are you Nebula from the Avengers and Guardians of the Galaxy? Right. So blue. I think it's kind of like going. Or in. do you just support Chelsea and you really support Chelsea? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, no. If you're an American sports fan, they paint. Yeah, cool. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You could just be an American sports yeah, fan. Yeah. yeah. Avatar was like an allegory for like Native Americans. Yeah, they say uh, another name is Dancers with Smurfs. Um, <laughs> which, cause Dancers with Wolves is another epic starring. Um, Kevin Costner. The man of the motherfucking 90s. Was it Kevin Costner? Yeah, Kevin yeah, Costner. He, he was, was the, the bodyguard. Fu- yeah, he was the man. Listen, yeah. between it was the bodyguard and um, Dancers with Wolves. And then what was the other film he did that really put him on top? Um, Robin Hood, Prince of Three. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm good. My speech is somewhat, uh, I just came from the dentist. So I still got Novocaine. So if stuff sounds very What they say? Slurred. All good? Yeah. Is no. Novocaine like a cocaine? Um, only the numbing part of it, I think, is the cane. Yeah. So I think there's the last part of the molecule that obviously has a similar effect to you of numbing stuff, which is why I guess some people would put the coke in their gum yeah, and that, yeah, don't yeah, they? Yeah. Talking of Avatar being mm-hmm. an allegory for Native Americans, I've got a little sign for us to philosophize over. Nice. The Oscars mm-hmm. apologized to that lady. Uh, I wish I could remember her name. You tell the story now. Lil, Lil, Lil Featherwood. That could be very racist. Yeah. I think there was something in her name. This lady. Oh, was it the lady who got the award for on behalf of Marlon Brando. Marlon Brando, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And then she was like, Marlon Brando could not accept this award because the Oscars, the, the Hollywood has been very racist yeah. towards Native Americans. This was during the 50s. I remember. Where every John Wayne movie was him shooting Native Americans. Yeah, back, and, back when you could call them Indians. Right. With back, the J. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so then she took the award, she said that speech and everyone, a lot of people were booing her. Yeah. Apparently John Wayne tried to fight her. It's not a fair fight, John Wayne. Yeah. And then John so, Wayne, who was not a cowboy, by the yeah. way, in real life, very racist man. Surprisingly, I mean, a white guy living in the fifties. <laughs> they tried to rename tried. the airport, like actually, when they found out how racist he was, because he was like, "Ah, I like this white supremacy," which in the seventies was like, you know, beneficial for yeah, him, it was, <laughs> largely. It was good for him. Yeah, beneficial because you know you get to a point where it's kind of like we're casting you because you're a straight white guy. Like, mm. I imagine if you're a straight white guy and you could see your career potentially on the way, and you'd be like. Yeah, I'll take that. Now, I want to come out and say I don't like racism. I know that might be controversial. But I just want to say I don't like Freedom racism. Freedom of speech. You get, you have the right to say where you feel. Mm-hmm. But I feel like after Enjoy 50 your, years... Enjoy your, your gash bomb. <laughs> <laughs> there should be a 50-year statute of limitations where you're allowed to keep your airport. I don't think it does any good to change the name of the airport. I mean, I feel like I am more concerned with airport surface than airport nomenclature. Mm. Like, I don't care about the name. Like, I would go to David Duke of the Ku Klux Klan <laughs> if it was an official airport and, and the staff were the Ku Klux Klan. But then again, if they're very quick, you're out, checked in, then. <laughs> Got you an owl seat. Stretch them long, Negro layers. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Hurry up, then. <laughs> like, free watermelon on the flight. Like, it's problematic. Right, could you, mention, you know what? Before you took off, free watermelon slice. I'll take that. 40 ounce, nigga. <laughs> Before you take half fried chicken. Do you know what? If there was a racist airline that did fried chicken on an airline, it was good fried chicken. For free? If, if any airline did, did fried, fried chicken, chicken, I was good. It'd be like, yeah. like it's, it's, not, it's not a race thing. It's a fried chicken Trust thing. me. I and like, like there's no late check-in because they like... <laughs> <laughs> we was expecting you, nigga. <laughs> it's always late to come Yes. What? It's surprise, late surprise. Love that, don't you? <laughs> but it's going to be quick. <laughs> <laughs> We'll make up for it. <laughs> but 
so the Oscars just apologized. If your if your overhead mask comes down, <laughs> don't panic, niggas. <laughs> just some oxygen. <laughs> oh man. Oh my goodness. All, oh. all white airways. Grand yeah. Grand Dragon Airlines. You can Airlines. sit anywhere you want. On yeah, this. yeah, grand. yeah. That's gonna be a clip. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> but Oscars apologize fifty years later. And I want to ask you, Dane, philosophize. Is yeah. there a statue of limitations to an apology? Um, I would say, philosophically speaking, an apology, really, the timescale of an apology should be placed or should be related to, I guess, how long people had to endure that trauma will dictate how long you may have to apologize for it for. Because you may because in a very personal relationship, you might apologize to somebody for something. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean at the time of apology that their healing from said trauma or offense has begun immediately. Um, but then that being said, you know, there's only so much you can apologize. Yeah. Um, this that, is their first yeah, exactly. on the record. That being said, again, philosophically speaking, I believe actions speak louder than words. Mm. So I think an apology uh, is quite hollow if you're going to continue the same practices that led to the offense in the first place. And I would much rather we have maybe uh, opportunities and resources for indigenous Americans in order to tell their own story as opposed to the ones in the ways that they were de depicted in uh, films like uh, of well, a Western genre. We gave them Avatar. So, you know, obviously <laughs> yeah. the healing process has begun. How many Native Americans were cast in Avatar? <laughs> yeah. None at all. It was all I, I don't actually know. There CGI people. blue people. CGI, yeah, 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 mainly CGI blue people. Sigourney Weaver was in it. She she was she a, a, a Viet at some Cherokee point. or something? I don't think so. Although that was a big thing amongst white Americans that uh, when they were doing like land reforms, a lot of them were like, oh, by the way, I won 16th Cherokee or I'm yeah. like 114th shoe. You'd be like, that doesn't or, or make sense. Was it Nancy Pelosi? Yeah, it? Nancy. Yeah, exactly. Like it. Well, then, you know, maybe you should, you're right there. You should probably sign somebody's uh, land reform kind of papers and stuff as well. But I, I, I feel like, you know, Native Americans in particular. What yeah. if we did an all Native Americans Ghostbusters or something like that? Just sort of re rehash it like that, make with, up for it that like way. Like with the uh, Indian bur burial ground kind of thing, like in <laughs> Amityville or like Pet, pet Cemetery. You could, I mean, yeah, I think so. I mean, she seems to have accepted the apology. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess it's like you said, it's kind of up but, to the but person. Then, but that's the thing is that it's a, it's a, it can become very complicated when you want to start doing individual apologies or direct apologies for a particular group because for a start, Native Americans are made up of a number of different tribes and peoples, so to speak. So is there one blanket apology that would uh, pacify everyone? Probably not. Mm. So, which is why I say like, I think- and She doesn't speak for the whole of the Native American community. Precisely, yeah. So and uh, you know, cause- But were they apologizing it did happen to, to her? Just her? So just, just her, they apologized so for what happened. For, oh, for what happened. Also, when she got booed at the Oscars, they were kind of- Yeah, it was oh, like- okay. Well then, yeah, I think, I guess, uh, I'd say better late than never. Mm. But then I think, if she's present and she's accepted it mm. and she is satisfied with it, then I think it's a, it's a subjective thing. It's only her, only she can say what constitutes mm. a uh, sufficient apology, which I think is a lot of the problem nowadays is that a lot of people assume the uh, offense on behalf of a group. Yeah. And then they they are so incensed that even when someone apologizes to that group, they're like, well, I'm not, I still feel bad. Well, yeah, but who gives a fuck? You weren't born. Yeah, you weren't, so, yeah. Um, you know, like sometimes it's like a weird one. Like it's, it's a powerful thing. Sometimes you'll see like there'll be a police shooting or something, <clears throat> and the family will like forgive the murderer, the police yeah. officer, the murderer, and then there'll be people in the black community like you shouldn't, yeah. almost in a way, accept that apology. Like, but then it's a weird thing because it's a personal thing to that family, so it's up to them, I guess. But which I guess is which is which is true. But I think 
the reason why people will still be incensed by it is the fact that it's not an that a particularly unique case is a good case it's not an isolated incident mm. because i think what happens is that we're all aware that if this uh family appeared to be uh accepting of the apology of this error then it gives carte blanche to other ones to make the same kind of errors mm. because you know if it was and that's the thing with uh police brutality is that it's never an isolated incident mm. which is why the conversation about bad apples is becoming a lot harder to tolerate but i would say in ter- i think a lot of families realize that appearing to be affable to an apology really helps the compensation money come through a bit quicker so you know if you know you, there's 14 million sitting in a civil um civil dispute claim yeah but you've got to be like ah, okay i guess i think also like you, you, you it's it's all about healing as a family as well yeah you know what i mean and it's kind of like i i, I would hate to be in that position yeah. but you know you kind of you, you holding that anger is holding that pain yeah, and it won't bring him back. Is unfortunate. No, is unfortunate, and, like and, and I know that's it's very easy for people to say, but yeah, it's like, that's a, that's another. You know, a lot of people don't really understand when they hear about like children being killed in care or children dying as a result of neglect or abuse, and then the person that was responsible only gets eleven years, and they're like, well, that's not morally correct, and it's like I, I get where people are coming from, but it's kind of like you have to look at the expanse of that person's life and what kind of life they would have lived in that environment, and I think they take that all that stuff into account or who that person is, and that's why you might get someone like eleven years, but it's kind of like even when you think about. You philosophize about religion. The idea is that if you uh, commit sin in your life, then in your afterlife you'll be punished, like you'll go to hell. Mm. But it's like if I kill somebody, like even on Earth, I'd have done <coughs> six years for murder. Then I'm going to do an eternity. So you want me to be punished twice? Twice? Well, not twice, because you're supposed to be punished in perpetuity, I mm. guess. So I'm going to burn for longer than this person was alive, and even longer than I was alive. If I kill somebody at 19 or like something like that, and I go to hell because I'm a, in a gang member now, I'm in hell. So I'm going to burn for longer than I've been, uh, than, you know. I like to think there's a judicial system in heaven where you can sort of appeal the sentence, uh, maybe get a shorter hell sentence or like just a slightly less hot. Yeah, (laughs) a reduction in in temperature. But then, you know, at the same time, it's like if you're being burned in eternity, like I'm sure at some point, yeah, or being broiled, I think at some point when the Bible was being devised and mastered and I think at that seemed like the worst punishment possible and you know all beasts fear fire but i feel like nowadays human beings have probably overtaken hell in thinking of <coughs> more cruel and unusual punishment oh yeah like that some edinburgh show don't get me, yeah exactly <laughs> don't get me wrong burton is not great but i've seen and heard like if anybody wants to look up someone who's worse than satan in terms of punishment um look up what's the dude's name who was the uh president of i think it was chile i want to um, say um not chavez you go no not, not hugo that's venezuela but i think was it him as well? No, it'll come to me. Um, well, Manuel Noriega was also, he was a horrible person. I thought that's the host of Drink Champs. Nah, that's just Noriega. Noriega. Manuel Noriega. Is that where he got his name from? He goes, yeah. Exactly. Okay. That's where he got his name from. Okay. Um, which is also why Rick Cross says that um, Noriega owes me 100 favors. Pinochet. Yes. Okay. Uh, and Pinochet was, he was, oh, fucking. He if was you look, a rascal. I mean, yeah. This, this, I don't a know. Rascal. I don't even want your rotter. If you you stream this, this comes on YouTube, right? Yeah. I probably won't tell you what he did then. Damn. But yeah, um, Pinochet was. What happened during his regime uh, is worse than any description of hell. I was it really? to do with limbs being locked off and things like that? Yeah, and uh, I, to be honest, I think you, I you think s- modern day cartels. <laughs> okay. Oh, the the old Richard Gear. Yeah, but not in a nice way. No. Do you no. know the whole thing about hell being hot? But like. 
You know when you get in a hot bath, you just acclimatize. <laughs> eventually, <laughs> get used to like, it. Yeah, and that kind of gonna be like, like hell. Like mm. yeah, if they burn up all your nerve endings, I'm like it's another day. It's another day in hell, baby. I'm not gonna die. Like. How many people wake up and say that anyway? It's another day <laughs> in hell, baby. Another, is that how you wake up? Another day in hell, baby. This is it. <laughs> uh, and I think you know that's a part of the human spirit as well. Is that you learn to acclimatize and thrive within what would be described as hellish environments and terrible hellscapes. They, yeah, they said. I mean, it's it's kind of like how people Brixton, are, yeah. like become. A conditioned to prison. Yeah. And when they leave prison, they're institutionalized. And it's like they can't handle yeah. it. Yeah. Which is a great, which philosophically is a great way for life that, you know, some people, if they brought up, if they have been brought up in hell, why are we surprised when they turn out to be demonic in yeah. nature? Yeah, yeah. That's it's where reform uh, and rehab comes in. Do you know this Pinochet guy you're talking about? Uh-huh. Is he the guy where, you know, there was a documentary where they made these people like relive their war crimes, but as actors. Uh-huh. And then oh. this was the first time they really sort of. Oh kind of understood like oh shit i was really killing people uh, it sounds i mean that sounds like a great idea i don't imagine it was him but i think i heard of that show it was like a, it was like this documentary is like hey you guys used to do this why yeah. don't you react reenact it yeah. and then they made them reenact it like really realistically and then they were like hey oh, this kind of fucked up you know i was really <laughs> stabbing people like this is it. i was really raping and pillaging right me? and it's very easy for people <coughs> to do that when they um are able to dehumanize the uh, the, the um, person or people that they're oppressing, um, but yeah, I think I think that's a really good idea. I, I I think you know, people that have benefited historically from oppression for so long, I think in some cases, experiences themselves might be the only way they can see what it's like. Because let's look. I just watched a documentary recently, um, Woodstock '99. Yeah, <laughs> you've seen it. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, tra- train wreck. It's on uh, Netflix yeah. or um, yeah. other streaming platforms, which we won't endorse until. But they know, but it is only exclusively on Netflix. But yeah, but yeah, if you, you were able to find it in any other means, philosophically speaking, I wouldn't hold you back from doing movies. That. One, two, three, if allegedly. I've got a guy who may be able to get an Amazon Fire Stick for you if you want. Yeah, which or any don't, don't, yeah, or any kind of additional this on additional stick on, on any streaming platform, and I'll throw free gash bombs in for yeah. anyone. There you go. I'm I'm sold. In <laughs> fact, I have one of those. Yeah, they're great. They're really good. I don't like you guys are doing illegal selling We're on illegal. my podcast. I think that legality is a very hard thing to define. And this uh, crate is actually in international waters. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's been raining that hard, actually. Um, not in the but yeah, um, so in Woodstock 99, the original founders of Woodstock wanted to recreate it for because it's 30 years since. Yeah. I wanted to recreate the same kind of nostalgic and romantic memories uh, for their successive generations. Uh, not realizing that between 69 and 99, America in particular has enjoyed years of relative peace following the Vietnam War and all the other wars have been done in, as proxy wars. So essentially you have a large generation of people who don't really have anything to rebel against, right? but are still kind of angry. And uh, I'll be brief. Essentially, they were the infrastructure and the provisions were not sufficient for about 350,000 people. It, oh, it wow. Was, it was obscene. Yeah, like it was a Travis obscene. Scott concert. It, it was I mean, much uh, more, even worse than a Travis Scott concert, to be honest. Um, more uh, demonic. Yeah, it was, it was pretty demonic. <laughs> yeah, more demonic. And it took, basically, it took merely 72 hours before people were uh, ritualistically uh, assaulting women. Oh, no. Uh, also um, looting. No. Um, arson. Sw- arson, literally swimming in their own shit. And Alanis Morissette. And Alanis Morissette. Oh, headliner? Uh, no. Nope. No. But she had a, she got good billing on the day, though. It was, mm. The lineup was crazy. The lineup was crazy. Uh, it was a bit skewed. 
Yes. And in terms of who they wanted to target with the lineup, they ba- they basically went to. I mean, they, they almost did like a comedy industry. They were like, "Who do we think is hot right now?" And people and people seem to like on TV. What Blink do you those guys? One eighty two. I'm trying to well, think who's big in nineteen ninety nine. So ninety nine was like Limp Bizkit. Okay. Um, it was DMX. There's a there's an iconic yep. DMX performance. Oh, I've seen that. And he's wearing the red dunglies. Shania Twain, mm-hmm. uh, Alanis Morissette, uh, Bush were there. Corn, who were George Bush, um, no, no uh, <laughs> okay, but uh, that was the Red Hot Chili Peppers, had. Red Hot Chili Peppers. Wow, 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 and well. they closed the show yeah. with Fire. Fire by Jimi Hendrix as a cover. And Wyclef Sean was on as well, yeah, Jewel, who was big back in the day, yeah, damn. Mm. Uh, and and it was uh, it was it was a different target demographic. To oh, Metallica the... closed it, and Metallica, I think, headlined as well, maybe they played the lot because they played because they played the song about greed, no, Megadeth played. Megadeth. Megadeth closed the show. Who's a big metal band as well as Metallica being? That there. seems ominous. Getting Megadeth in there. Yeah, yeah, and 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 Red so Hot Chili Peppers. The new so. metal was was big around then, which is a weird sort yeah. of uh, energy. Yeah, it's like a lot of moshing and, mm. and and it's 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 for people that want to have almost controlled outbursts of anger with no real consequence. Mm. That new metal kind of worked for them. Kid Rock was on there as well. So it's kind of like that kind of that white boy rap rock era yeah. where they were trying another subversive attempt by a uh, major record label was to try and move over re whitewash the image of hip hop at the time. Okay. Because ninety nine was kind of towards what was called the platinum age. We got Jay Z, uh, Reasonable Doubt. Uh, would have been coming out ninety six. No, no ninety ninety six, yeah. So this would have been this was volume three. Okay. So <coughs> volume three which would have had uh Jigaba nigga was on it as well. Nas had already done Illmatic. Um, he would have been. Yeah, on. so this was uh, he was actually so Nas was actually in decline at this point. Oh. So Nas had just done um, Nasradamus. Okay. That hadn't done great, and uh, yeah, and also, but it was uh, he did like two albums back to back because of leaking. So he had I Am, which had um, Hate Me Now on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, hate me now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, big tune, which I wasn't fond of because I had already seen the Nas from my like, Illmatic, and it was written. So for Nas fans, we were kind of like, this is not. He was not dumbing it down a bit. Yeah, he was wearing a mink, like a big mink hat and a big mink coat, which then Kid Rock wore on his for his performance. Appropriation. But like, you know, so essentially, in a nutshell, all of the uh, white male, the white straight cisgender male minority groups that are maligned nowadays, mm-hmm. at the, in 99, they were at the top. This yeah. was their era. Was their era. So their from era. Like, like 1900 to 1999, yeah, that yeah, was like yeah. their peak era. This is like era. peak white dude. Like if you were a... Rap. Boy. Straight white frat boy. This was like your time. It was like uh, American Pie had just come out, oh. and um, Crazy Town had songs yeah. out, and Jackass. This Jackass, era? yeah. Like people had like the chains with their wallets on it. Yeah, and I suppose, like, yeah, it was a it was a big skater time. Isn't yeah, it? yeah. It's peak white dude. Like yeah, it, yeah. all the all the various facets of pre nine eleven. Yeah, pre nine eleven. I don't know why that's relevant. I just uh, no, it's pretty relevant because they would have come off the back of a very. There was a lot less white dudes after that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, it was, and it was also a nice. It was a, it was come off the back of a great win for the first Gulf War. Yeah. So like American uh, imperialist powers at an all time high. Like things were going so. This, this was like even this was like uh, Monica Lewinsky. Okay. Yeah. So president being impeached and stuff, but things were going so well economically that a president was being impeached, who would actually sexually assault a woman. And nobody cared. I thought it was I consensual. Think it was, I don't think it was assault. Yeah, it was, it was consensual. I mean, coercion, I should say. No, he's the president. She, you know, and she's like, "You want to suck my dick?" She's like, "Sure." I yeah, think but, it was like that. Which is, which sounds like a valid explanation. But then look at it this way: I'm the president. You know what happens if you don't suck this dick? Oh no! What happens? You don't want to fuck. <laughs> <anything>. <laughs> Woodstock, remember, remember, remember Marilyn Monroe? 
Yeah, okay. Yeah, so that could be two ways to look at it. Your but whole town don't get but tax cuts. There you That's go. But, but other hand, I'm yeah. not a fan of the Clintons, but I don't know if it's fair to to say that Monica Lewinsky, because I think, uh, yeah, yeah, but then again, we weren't there, so we don't. Yeah, we weren't there. I, I mean, you know, there's always, there's she sides in the She would have, sh like, surely uh, it would have been brought up that it wasn't consensual if it was. Yeah, I feel like, but I feel it's like. It's just a power imbalance. It was a power, it was a massive power imbalance. And it, it's one of the things where it's like, I'm the president. You're going to believe me? Oh, you're gonna believe this this sucking whore over here. Mm. And literally, oh, no, not, no, that's not you don't say that. No, that you don't say it. that, but Kid Rock <laughs> said that on stage. Oh, really? He's like, I'm not normally political, <laughs> but I got one thing to say that Monica Lewis is a motherfucking hoe. And like <laughs> yeah, he did. Then in an audience of like the heat is about hundred degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah. There's women being topless. Damn. The ratio of men to women is like twenty-five men to one woman. Damn. It's wall-to-wall bros of guys. Nine dollars for a bottle of water. Nine Sounds like every nightclub I go to. No, now. this is ninety-nine. Before the millennium bug and stuff, before like, you know, we were a cashless society and stuff. So in order for you to go and get that water you had to go to the ATM and queue for like three hours Damn. to get money out to go and get it in the first place. The PS one come out already? Uh PS one was out. Damn. Yeah, so Tony Hawk was out. Tony Hawk was out, but uh, you know, there was no online gaming and stuff and you couldn't bring it with you no. and so like all of these things combined to make a perfect storm of straight white disenfranchisement and this and is why america's so weird now it's also it's also yeah well the people the people now who stormed the capital like this is when they were like <laughs> teenagers <laughs> would that be fair to say <laughs> yeah that's crazy. Like, but I think the people of that day were the, now today, the, they're the, like MAGA the Venn, and QAnon. The Venn diagram. Yeah, maybe. the Venn diagram. No, I don't, I don't think they're all MAGA and stuff. Not all of them, but I think for a lot of but them, yeah. are, or a better way of putting it is that there was probably like... I'm not sure the Alanis Morissette fans. <laughs> no, no, no. But the people that would tell her to say, tell her to show her tits. Yeah. Those people. But there was like the existential angst that people feel when they turn like 18. Yeah. Those people probably had the same. And then something came in. And at the time, economically at least, there was something to placate them or they just had that place to at least their age. Yeah. Now, years later, those people, 20 years later, those people are now at the mid at midpoint of their lives mm -hmm. and probably still feel a bit disenfranchised and feel like life hasn't gone the way I thought it was going to go and I haven't got the life that was going to be shown because these are the guys that, you know when people talk about like rape, uh, rape culture and toxic culture in films back then, these guys were weaned on it. Mm. Yeah. So like when they saw things like American Pie, and you look back and you're like, it's not okay that they were filming a girl in a room. Yeah. yeah. Like at the time they were like, oh my God, it, that could happen to me. So those guys, when they were on the cusp of like, like world is supposed to be my oyster. So, but, but anyway, I don't want to digress. It basically, it just showed you all it took was three days of a lack of access to water and power and sanitation and shelter and shelter. And that's all it took, and it was a full scale ride. From, from Woodstock being held. that feels like it would do that though. That feels yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you put it like that. But, but Woodstock, the idea Woodstock, Woodstock in '69, the idea was that it was a rebellion against the draft and like people being forced to go to the Vietnam War. It was causing a massive divide between people that were, I guess, progressive versus people that were more conservative than traditional. Yeah, and almost like in the way that, uh, so almost some of the divisions we're seeing today those lines were drawn during the Vietnam War. Mm. So, so Woodstock was like a rebellion to that. And like, even with the first Woodstock, it would happen in a place in a field in New York. Mm. People, it was like communal. So people were like exchanging food and for like help and like people working with catering and stuff. Vibe. Yeah, it was a hippie yeah. vibe. This one was on a military base. This one was on a military base. So it went from being <laughs> in a direct rebellion against military policy yeah. to then being on a military base. And like, so it's kind of like, and if you think about a military base really is like, in many ways, very similar to a prison in terms of like the architecture, yeah, and also the drilling that's involved and how people are segregated. It's definitely drilling in prison, and it's so definitely drilling in prison. <laughs> but the thing is, asphalt. imagine a prison or like a youth offenders prison that had women there. Wow. Yeah. 
Um, so there, I think there were only four reported uh, sexual assault cases or rape, rape yeah. cases, but there would have been hundreds more because just for a woman, just because they were like crowd surfing, like to be a woman being crowd surfed on that crowd, like it's. So how did Woodstock '99 end? Uh, with the National Guard or the state, the state patrol came in, didn't they? Yeah. State troopers came in. Now you think, oh, the state troopers are here. There's going to be so much violence. No, these are like straight white men. So they're just like, kids, go home. Come on, boys will be boys. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and uh, I think there were three deaths. Three deaths? Yeah. What That's less than a Travis Scott concert. Le three reported deaths. Three reported deaths. I don't like this Travis Scott bashing that people do. Well, listen, he ran a concert and yeah. people died. He I did. Mean. However, there was also a country western concert in Las Vegas and 69 people were killed in the worst mass shooting in American history. And no one ever talks about how demonic that was. I'm, I'm just saying, like, you know, whoever the rocker was on the stage at the time, he wasn't doing the shoot. No, and yeah. Trevor Scott wasn't doing the crushing, to be fair. That's how I feel like. And I also feel like if my kid went to Astro World and didn't have a ticket and still snuck in over capacity, mm. what you do after that is your fucking choice. Because I've been to raves before where... You know, I can see it's become quite crowded. I'm like, I'm gonna enjoy this more from the outside. Or I'm like, if this rave is gonna finish or this party is gonna finish in like an hour's time, I'm gonna get into an hour ahead of time, grab my coat and stuff, and then you do what used to be called parking lot pimping. <laughs> What's that? Basically, you go back to your car, you chill out in the car, you get situated, and then you hang out and see as people are filing out End of the, the night. The night you see you're just chilling and you're like, "What's up?" And then that's how you do it because it's much easier for you to broach. Oh, to pick up girls. Yeah. yeah. Because in a, in a not nightclub... Not actual pimping. Yeah, not actual oh, pimping. It's just okay. a colloquial term. But then, because if you're in a nightclub and you go up behind a girl and you're rubbing up your crotch against her, small of her back, and be like, what's your name? Like, I feel like that's not... It's much easier to do that in a car park. It's much easier to do that in a car park <laughs> where <laughs> the sound of beeping. No, Mooch! But it's much easier beep, for you to have a beep, normal, beep. stable conversation with uh, somebody rather than trying to talk to about them in a nightclub. And also because I feel like... If someone's speaking to you then, they want to rather than they don't feel uh, pressure to do so or they can't get away from you. Do you hear what ASAP um, Rocky used to do? No. He used to um, have a minivan and after the club finished, he would just pick up all the women outside oh. of the club and they drive home. And then and drive them all safely back to their places. Of yeah, course. Because otherwise it sounds like a lot like sex trafficking. <laughs> 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 no, so then all the guys who'd been buying girls drinks all night, you just see ASAP Rocky pull up. There you go. All the women get well, in the car, he takes them home. He, he has, but he's uh, got that juice. That's, that's insane greed. <laughs> Is it greed though? Listen, I think, I think well, um, me personally, I think he's obviously living off the power of the name. And my advice to any young or frustrated men who have witnessed that kind of thing is get your name, get your value up as a human being. And um, get your, find, your, bro, find all the women doesn't give a fuck about the name. All the yeah, so. you've been yeah. buying. You've been buying a girl 1942 Casamigos all night, wherever the beverages of your choice. He's, all the women. He, I, he don't need all of them. I mean, he could have taken two or three to all the women. He could have, but then he also was able to take more, and that's the thing. <laughs> if you can, why wouldn't you? But then that being said, I feel like I read. I read a book. Uh, this is not why I got the advice. It's like from, overfishing. But, the but it's yeah. overfishing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you're, so you're you're, you're hoping for catch and release. Oh well, yeah, more sustainable practices. <laughs> that's all I want. Yeah, more sustainable. And uh, listen, I think it's down to the ladies, and uh, maybe uh, the women said to themselves, "We might as well go in a communal place where we'll all be safe in the numbers." And also, <laughs> you reckon that was their thought process? I mean, I wouldn't want to mansplain it, but then I want to remind people: this is the man who is the father of Rihanna's child. Yeah. So you know, a certain I'm not saying ASAP Rocky is doing this currently. I, I, I heard Eddie Murphy did the same though. What he would do is go into a night. Literally, like Eddie Murphy, there'd be like a party, and he would basically show up with his friends, walk around, the, just basically do a lap of the nightclub, and be like, ha 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 ha. 
And then his entourage would be like, you want to party with Eddie Murphy? <laughs> and the guy would be like, can I buy you another drink? And they'd be like, and, and, and I think that, and I think it's just you know, just it's just how people work. They 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 probably rationalise. I can get a, a drink bought for me in a club anytime. How often do I get the opportunity to play, to party with ASAP Rocky and ASAP Rocky and ASAP Mob? You know, so it's just one of these in things. the minivan. In a minivan, probably too. you know, got all the setting. probably more spacious than a normal car. To be fair, yeah, in yeah, the defence yeah. as well. And you know, if you're on heels the whole night, you want to. I imagine you've got aircon leather interior. Although that being said, I read you know the book The Game. I have heard of it. You heard of the book? Yeah. You heard of this book, The Game? I've heard of it. So uh, one of the things that the, one of the rules of being a pickup artist is that you shouldn't buy a drink for, the, for a woman because then it implies that you have a sense of entitlement and ownership and you'll almost always be disappointed. Really? So, yeah. I've bought, I've, but I, I don't buy drinks expecting anything back. I once massively knocked a drink out of a woman's hand. <laughs> A accidentally? Yeah, I was in the ministry. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I, I oh no, no, no. As a How dare you? Shut up! Fuck you! <laughs> no. Get in the van! But Unhand then, my beverage. But then I, but then I um, she kind of looked at me like, and I looked at her and I, I, I basically did, had to do, make You threw the game at her when I I mean, this might be quite a domineering move, but I thought it was just being quite forthright and just, you know, having to explain it. So I just grabbed her by the hand and led her to the bar and bought her another drink. Yeah. Oh, that, that's, that's a move right there. I'm going to try yeah. that. I mean, in Brixton, get beat up. Yeah, the climate <laughs> has changed somewhat over yeah. the years. But then, no. But then, at the same time, I also feel like you know, and this is the thing. There, there's nuances men, in. Person. There's nuances, and I also think there's a lot of things that men need to understand. Is that like a woman knows very early on if she wants to be around you or not. And I, obviously, I was aware that this woman was fair, was prepared to indulge me. But they also know when they want to be around ASAP Rocky. In, exactly, in minute, and man. sometimes you've got to charge it to the game, man. Like mm. there'll be a time where you know, OD Mike is needed a lot more than ASAP Rocky. Yeah, but. I'm not even mad at ASAP Rocky because I can't drive and it's very hard to like keep a girl stimulated when you have to change bus two times to bring her back to yeah. your taxi. I'm not sure he was driving. You don't I, think he's driving a mini? I, I don't know if he... he <laughs> if he's driving. Like, you girls sure are right back there? Like... <laughs> beep, beep. Yeah. <laughs> but who knows? He could have been making money on the side. In fact, he's I know... ASAP Rocky mini cab. He is a hustler. Yeah. Yeah, so he could have just been taking Get you home. back ASAP. You know, you know Tiny Temper? Yeah, his uh, manager and the founder of the Disturbing London uh, record label, Dummy, is a, uh, a friend of mine from school, and I know that in the early noughties, he was driving the minicab and he would be outside nightclubs and make money, just uh, basically being a proto Uber before Uber was a thing. Yeah, but at uni there was loads of people who did. Yeah, so you know, you, massively legal technically. Oh, we know. Yeah, ASAP Rocky could have just been doing a service for because because he's from New York and dollar vans are a big business there. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I uh, you know. Probably pay for studio time just you, doing that. And I think, you know, ASAP Rocky probably has reached the epiphany that uh, a lot of exceptional men in his position realise is that, like, going to the club, you're only going to leave there with, like, uh, a a liver full of alcohol and a empty pocket. And I also remember another reason why I think that's a very valid mentality to have is because I remember I used to go out to a, a night on a Sunday in Leicester Square. I remember seeing Lethal B outside of there, mm. just chilling out and just listening to what was happening in there. And I'm like, you're Lethal B. Why don't you go in there and enjoy the fact that you're like a star and you've got an amazing single that everyone loves? But his focus was his uh, business opportunities and, and having an idea of how his industry works rather than trying to profit from it, whether it was romantically or... Surely the, uh, the sound quality would be better inside for him if he was yeah, going inside. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty loud, but I think he was just trying to see what kind of people are going to the shows and how to market them and just really just peeping the scene from a distance. And I, and I totally, un I, 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 it really inspired me. That's that eagle eye right there. Cause yeah, I, yeah. I don't do that comedy. I don't go. Yeah, but you're still young. You still got time to enjoy it, man. But you'll get to the point where you're like, you know, how can I monetize being a part of this as opposed to just being in the midst of it? Like you want to be a producer or a consumer, Mike? And then in what arenas do you want to be a producer and consumer? You have to ask yourself. It's kind of like, you know, 
for a long time, I would have uh, been critical of what I perceive to be uh, the face of British comedy. But there's only so long I could be like, I don't feel this is funny. Well, then if you could do better, then do better. Yeah. So That's why are. he's Mr. Splinter, Dr. Splinter. This right is it. Here. I'll take Doctor as well. It's all good. You, you were talking <laughs> about the game earlier. Um, it's interesting because right now you've got this guy, Andrew Tate. Mm. Right. And I've been seeing this, like almost this, this, this petition online where people want to try and get him offline. Yeah. And I think in a way, is that just not giving him more attention? Exactly. This is the guy that thrives off of being dangerous. Yeah. You can't listen to my message. They don't want you to listen to my message. And now there's an online, there's an online petition trying to get him offline. I it's feel like it's just making him more powerful. similar to what's happening with Jerry Sadowitz as well. Do you know what mm. I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, cool. Uh, you can't have this means people want to know want to discover it more of course almost to the point where cynically i'm starting to think that people create these uh hate campaigns towards them in order to make their names even more popular yeah because if i was somebody that was trying to build notoriety in my environment i would also generate stories that people are trying to get me cancelled on like i remember like um so jerry shadow is is an older comedian he goes to edinburgh he's very known for having very uh offensive offensive shows and apparently this one was so offensive that the fringe the pleasant the venue he was at they like cancelled his second performance i don't know what was in the show but just what did the, you hear you, before i say anything what do you hear what did you hear mitch uh i heard there was a uh bit of uh, nudity he gets his cock out but he did warn that in a video okay uh, and what before buying a ticket i'm you, this is a cock well heavy maybe, show or maybe it was part of the show show yeah i mean it, uh, that i'm not i don't think it's in uh, some, I, there's some several rumors about several things. He also, I believed, uh, referred to Rishi Sunak as the p-word, but yep, it that. was also a penny per- pincher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In a, in a way, in a way. <laughs> uh, but it was, it was. Uh, as far as I've also been told, it was um, of what the Tories were calling him. So he wasn't saying that. It was the Tories call him. Yeah. They're so stupid. They called him this. So um, it's a weird one because it's kind of. Uh, I don't think, and I've heard from all accounts that this gentleman is really lovely off stage and is not what he perceives. Are these accounts from white guys? A woman, a journalist. White woman? Uh, I think so, yeah. I don't don't know. Her (laughs) hue is pale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pale hue. Is she a a people of no colour? But, you know, uh, you've got Chaparak who's also backed him and, you know, there's there's a range of comics but who are all from that era Mm -hmm. who say that he's not yeah, what his persona is on stage. I heard he so, lives with his mum. I don't know, but it doesn't matter. No, as in like you know, <laughs> he 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 um has a very humble life and very unassuming life, other mm. than like the persona that he presents on stage. Like he's just like a regular dude who's basically like a struggling mus- struggling comedian mm. and mu- and magician. So like Bob Dylan, from. but if he didn't make it, yeah. I mean, he's, he was, he had a TV show. Uh, that's where I first saw him. You know, yeah. so stuff. Bob Dylan kind of made it. Oh, Bob, Bob didn't, didn't made it. Bob yeah. didn't made it. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I'm <laughs> yeah. saying, but like, if, if for an equivalent, I mean, I, the thing is, like, a, it's hard to find equivalents of of almost made it. But I just think, you know, he's not the for me, whatever he's saying, he's not the first acerbic or offensive comedian. Yeah, he definitely won't be the last. Uh, I feel like though nowadays, because what I heard was that the idea was that it's supposed to be a prosthetic or fake penis or fake cock that he's supposed mm. to pull out, and then he uh, pulled out. And then the joke is that he pulls out his real dick by accident. 
I just don't think you could make those accidents, have those accidents in an audience. I mean, I, I, look, I, is, if there's warning of it, I mean, there's, it's not the first time the nudity is on stage at the, at the fringe. And, a long, and the thing is, there's a lot of nudity that yeah, from particular spank. groups, people, yeah, spank people look the other way. Or some people who just be doing burlesque shows as well in Edinburgh. So I mean, it, it's, I, I, it's so hard to sort of, I mean, also the type of people who go to a, a yeah. Jerry Sadowitz show traditionally are know what they're getting again he's not the only person i know that's taking their dick out on stage or motions yeah. with their penis on stage i've heard that from a lot of people but then some of those people are dealing with those consequences now and that's the thing <coughs> you have to kind of take into account is that even though there's a presumption where we're like oh it's fine back then i think for a lot of things that were considered fine through coercion or through people's fear of saying something they might have so been okay with it there was that guy from it, doctor it, who but there's but there's yeah. also so i i i this where i struggle with this is Okay, cool. Look, you, if if what's happening on stage is a performance, mm -hmm. and uh, there's like it's something on stage, so are we not allowed to have uh, evil characters yeah. or or nudity or or storylines that deal with horrible horrible issues that are, are prevalent in the world, mm -hmm. like there are in films or in theatre or in books, but but like comedians are curtailed because it's kind of seen as not a performance and it's kind of it's because the art more direct seen as the, more direct. the art is making it not seem like a performance yeah so it's it's it confuses people and it's kind of like so al murray gets this when people come to his shows and he is poking fun at yeah. the ukip pub landlord sort of person but obviously there's a certain percentage who it goes above their heads they and think, they're they just take it for gospel yeah and they they're true. taking it for gospel it's like well you can't really change everything for for the the, the idiotic percentage that, that don't get the joke well you know it's so funny you say that as well because like uh just to reference this uh this uh associate podcast of this uh crate network yeah his <laughs> speech like you know leo curse for example yeah he's always been like and people accuse him of being a white supremacist and a racist and all this other stuff yeah and i realized i don't think i've ever seen leo in a room with just white people <laughs> i don't know maybe it is because uh, you're obviously you're of dual heritage yeah Darius is of dual heritage. Yeah. Nico is from Barbados. Yeah. And he's, he's a Celt as well. So he's only, <laughs> but even as a honky, he's not even a white Anglo-Saxon. He's a Celtic because he's from yeah, Scotland. Yeah, yeah, So it's like, it's very strange that like, you know, considering his views, like, and I say that because there are probably a lot of people who would accuse him of having regressive views that don't spend any time around people of color or people mm. from other groups. Right, okay. That's why, that's why I say it's interesting because a lot of the people that would be most outspoken about this are people that in their day-to-day -day don't really spend any time outside of their white middle-class bubble. Yeah, it yeah. happens a lot, isn't it? Yeah, and I'm definitely someone who would say that actions speak louder than words. And I wanted to speak about this, Mike, because uh, a philosophy of mine that sometimes, sometimes in our line of work, comparison is just unavoidable. And we will do that, you know, in, our, in the lower points of our complexes and... Um, so a lot of time people tend to compare myself to like other prolific black comedians. Yeah. And I want, and I think the only reason they make it a comparison is because we're both, both black, black and male, <coughs> for example. Mm -hmm. But then I thought to myself, do I compare myself a lot of the time to my white counterparts? And the truth is I don't. And in this country anyway. And the reason why is because I just think there is a natural aptitude that comedians of color have over white comics in this country which I know sounds incendiary and I don't want to cancel your podcast. Yeah. But no. the reason why I say this, and Mooch, you might be able to offer a input on this as well. One of the reasons why I don't think a lot of white comedians in this country are very good is because for the very simple reason is this. Have you ever sat in a green room with other white comics for about maybe two, three hours doing a night and then catch them again on like a train platform or a public transport at home on the way home and they don't recognise you? Right, yeah. That happened to you before? Yeah. How can somebody who gets paid to make observations... <laughs> 
sit in a room with someone for three hours and then not recognize them on the way home. For me, if you can't even do that, how the fuck are you going to be an observational comedian? Who's not recognized in the way? That's home? happened to me loads of times. Really? It's happened to be a couple times. I'll think that's about mad. it. A couple times. And that's what I'm saying. Like, or maybe I, they just didn't want to talk to me anymore. Well, but, <laughs> I mean, that could be the case. But then I would be fine if you extend that same courtesy when we're in the green room. Don't talk to me then and then not talk to me at home. I just think that a lot of white comics, for all of the way they postulate on stage, reverse back into white mode where they don't take the time to make a distinction between the black people or non-white people they see in their normal day-to-day -day and tend to only acknowledge them when they are forced to within a professional environment. And that's fine, mm. but for me it says, if you're not able to tell the difference between me and another black person that might be on public transport with you, then it means that either you don't observe your immediate environment or for whatever hang-ups or prejudices you have, you don't even take the time to make a distinction. So then if you can't do that in your normal day-to-day, -day, yeah. how can I even trust what you're saying on stage? And that's why, and in the same way that like, you know, there's a lot of comedians, whether you like it or not, when they make references to living in London, we're like, you're not really from London, you're a transplant that's moved here from a home county or yeah. from outside of London. And you're not actually that immersed in the culture, which again, you can't necessarily help. But how successful are you going to be as an observational comedian if your observations are limited <clears> to how what much? really is a global minority on the planet? Like only very few people are middle class, only very few people are middle, are white and Anglo-Saxon. And therefore, when you are relaying your experience, your experience is only gonna reach and resonate with so many people but luckily, on a global those are scale. TV producers. Boom. Well, yeah, they're TV producers. <laughs> but then, uh, which is a really good point, because then you see how comedy is regarded by people who watch TV on a large, on, on mass and scale. Yeah. Which, obviously, for a long time was in decline. Which is why. I think it's similar. It's like Mock the Week is just right. being sort of axed, and you know. There you go. So now, so then, uh, and for a long time, those people looked very much alike. And the reason I say all of this is because then, when you look at someone like Nigel Ung, who as soon as he was able to get in front of a Asian audience. Mm. He's exploded. Yeah. And doing numbers that he could have dreamed of doing if he had to go to Edinburgh, which is 60% of people from Edinburgh and therefore 60% white and middle class. Nigel Ung, Uncle Roger, you might have heard yeah. of him. the rice. Uncle Roger or Mo Gilligan or Munya Chihuahua. Like these are all acts that if they had had to go through normal channels and people that come from these very close, closed social groups had to observe their appeal, wouldn't be able to see the appeal of a Mo or why Munya works. But now you've got someone now like Mo who wouldn't have resonated in Edinburgh, who's now a BAFTA, twice BAFTA winning yeah. presenter and comedian who's got shows on Netflix. And it's so like doing a know, big breakfast. Yeah, yeah. And doing big, literally doing big breakfast. And that is testament to the fact that, you know, these, there's, these people in this country can only go so far. And, and I yeah. think, you know, when we talk about things like privilege and stuff like that as well, I think a lot of comics, uh, white comics in this country don't realise that, you know, if you don't even speak this language, how much of a career would you have? And I say all that because I, I feel like a lot of stuff that's like, why can't I do this and why can't I do that? It's because really... Not a lot of people find that funny, to be honest. What, what, what do you mean by why can't I do this? Jerry Sadowitz, like, I got nothing wrong with his form of expression. Yeah. But I would like to see him pull his dick out in a room full of black people. <laughs> how, how willing he would be to do that. Because comedy is a universal language. I That's what point is that. I would not no, like to like, see but also that. Also, there's a, there's a point where you have your own audience. Yeah. And, and you're playing to your own audience. And it's kind of like, and don't get me wrong, you're not the best comedian when you've got that. But you are you have a you have your niche. Yeah, yeah. that's I, what we all want. Which I, which I agree with. But similar, then, similar to what yeah. you were saying before, you know, like there's there's certain like acts and certain types of show at Edinburgh that work, and it's for that niche. And it's yeah. like Hannah Gatsby is not maybe not 
be everyone's flavor. But that's my problem though, is because I get that she's not everyone's flavor, but it's the fact that it's now that becomes marketed as the normal and the aspiration. So I, I, take, I take what you're saying, but the problem, but like you said, like, you know, Jerry, and I'm sure he may know from his experience that he, with his audience and in those rooms, that's what should work. The problem occurs then is that, as I said, when you have a group of people who really observations don't really extend further than their proverbial nose, mm. then become the face of British comedy. And then they're the ones who get TV and they're marketed. So then most people that watch TV think, well, this doesn't represent me. And then the whole comedy as a whole suffers. Mm. Yeah. Because there's this, because the proportional uh, opportunities for the, this group are not the same as everywhere else. Like you said, because if a producer is from that same group, they'll want someone that represents them, but then it doesn't represent the sentiment or the collective consciousness of comedy you feel like on a larger scale. The internet has leveled the playing field somewhat, or is it, it in the process of doing that? In terms it's an, like I think it's in the process. It's a dynamic thing. So I think what's happened is because the barriers to entry are very low for like the internet. And uh, but actually, you know what? I think it has in the same way that like when I started doing comedy, there was other comics that I would see who like when you're doing open mic, you know, there's like you're doing there's 20 acts on, and the audience is made up of the of those acts. Mm -hmm. And what I would find is that the acts that were the most surreal or whimsical or like you know just quirky and stupid they would res resonate the most with those audiences because they to be fair they stand out when there's 20 people coming on and telling you five minutes about their life and their dating profiles they stand out yeah but then the question is when you see that stuff is like it, and, then it, and then it gets lauded by the critics and the chortles of the world they're like this is amazing that guy's gonna be the next guy but then it's like who's watching that for an hour hmm. and then these guys who are pushed in terms of comedy get pushed and then comedy as a whole begins to contract. Cause then people who go to comedy clubs aren't gonna go and see those kind of people and they're not going to go to theaters. And so comedy as a whole begins to suffer. And I think the internet has definitely changed that because you know, to hear people tell it, working class white people are all racist. And they have no interest in watching anyone else of a different appearance being on the stage. You look at someone like Mo, he's proven that to be bullshit. You look at someone like uh, Paul Smith, mm or Adam Rowe and the guys would have a word, they proved, they proved that's bullshit. Mm. It's really down to, there, there's an audience for it if people are prepared to make the effort to reach those people. But you've got a lot of people that are repeating the same patterns or trying to create environments that make them more comfortable rather than working towards what actually works. And that's probably what Americans have over us because like Americans, for all of the overt racism or discrimination we see there, if you are good and you, we, they know you can make money, there's no class that goes before. We don't think that's that should be the message of Edinburgh. Like I always find it weird. Edinburgh does they don't they don't advertise on TV. It's the world's largest arts festival. You come off the back of a pandemic, you could use the tourism money. <laughs> they didn't have an app. They didn't even have a fucking <laughs> app. Do you do you? And we've just spoken. And after me just rambling about the internet, like how can you not have a fucking app? Do you reckon like America is the sheer size of it? It's the sheer size of demographics. And like, do you sheer amount of black Americans that you can appeal to, or you got Latino population you can appeal to, Filipino population? Is that the size of it that allows that more? Um, I think that it can it can help more for when we spoke about niche being a niche in that you can be a great Southern comic, so you could play Southern states and have relevance to them. And so in the same way, but then you could argue by that token, Jerry Sadowitz, who's American, right? Yeah. Then it would work born, for him. Born there. Yeah, so he would have a larger audience that they would appeal to, or someone like Rich Hall mm -hmm. or Reginald D. Hunter. So I, I think just because there's the numbers, it doesn't say it means it's going to... And also, when you look at the overrepresentation and success of Jewish comics, who are a lower minority in the States than the African-Americans and a, a very low minority in the UK, mm -hmm. are still able to have success because it works. So it definitely works in that place. It's just in, that, in, in, these, in our country, there, I think there's just a face or an aesthetic for comedy that this country is not prepared to entertain anymore. Or they've realized that they like this part of entertainment, which they used to not ignore. Because before, 
the middle class contingent was in comedy. You had like Mike Reed and Roy Chubby Brown, and you had like uh, what's the dude's name? Bernard Manning. Bernard Manning and who was Jim, actually Jim Davidson. Bernard Manning, hilarious. Yeah, like massively, massively racist. But really, yeah. But like, I've I've watched some of his like you know when you get a YouTube thing and mm. it pops up, you watch one and then there's more and more. He's he, he was on panel shows and he like he was really really funny. Yeah, like, yeah. He's 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 quick. But then there was that Miss Miss Marple. What was that one? I, I know you're talking about. Yeah, the, she was funny and she died. Uh, Caroline Ahern who passed yeah. away recently. Yeah. What was so she had this uh, character, and she just yeah. she 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 just basically just drew him out on everything. Which I mean, which I mean is fair, but yeah. because I mean because it, it means that the times are changing. But I just, yes. But I, I but I think that the internet is very important to show us. It, it does definitely give a more democratic view of how comedy works and. At the same time, I just think that, you know, the problem with entertainment in general is that it's, it's become very risk adverse. And I think that's the problem with like the people that support Jerry Sadowitz. It, they need to understand that this is not a moral matter and it's not necessarily a racial one in the case. It's just at the moment that stuff is not making the money that so the more liberal comedy is. Do you do you, do you think there's a right or wrong in the venue cancelling? I don't think they should cancel him. I think if you if you it's, it's the fringe, he's paid his money, and there are people. It's their who, venue. Yeah, I mean it's their venue, but um, they, they contractually, if they, they have they have a contract, and I think for someone as like Jerry Sadowitz, you have to disclose what you're going to have in your show. Normally, don't you? I, I don't you're, you? you're talking to the wrong person here but like I, I think mean, they'll I ask think you if there's any pyrotechnics or if there's mm, anything like that or any nudity when, they, they tend when, to ask you that stuff when, when, you book when you're doing uh, the the flagship Pleasant's venue you know mm. the EICC or whatever you know and you book someone like Jerry Sadowitz you you know, you know what he's like you should know what he's like you should know he, you should do a Google yeah, mm. <laughs> like uh, do your Googles. Do yeah, do your Googles. Googles. But, but I think I don't think they should cancel him if uh, well unless his actions and that's what I'm saying about the thing is that I would probably be opposed to the idea of cancelling him. But I just think people have to accept we're not in an era where you can just take your dick out in front of people because I'll punch in your fucking face. If you put your dick out in front of me, I'll crack your jaw for you. If you were in the front row of a show and someone took their dick out. I'll punch in your know. fucking face. <laughs> what if they showed you on the ticket, it says on the small print. If, a small, if, if, if you tell me there's going to be yeah, a dick involved, then it's fine. The Would you apologise? Oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah. Take, it's just <laughs> I came in late. I yeah, missed yeah, that. Sorry, sorry. Call me off guard there, bro. Let me just stick that jaw for you in this. Came to the show, buddy. By the same token, I'm also of the of the school that no one has a right to attack somebody on stage either. Like right. with with comedy and live perfor or dramatic performance or live performance, if you don't like something, You're you can vote with your feet and walk. Yeah. You're welcome to leave. And I think with Jerry Sadowitz, if aside from the penis thing, if there was a, and if there was fair warning, then that's a part of his show. I think you don't need to cancel him. If his show is as bad as people say, that will be evidenced by the fact that people don't go. Mm. They won't just turn mm. up to your show. It's like what people don't understand about comedy in general is that like we understand that we play a fine line between comedy and tragedy, and sometimes. Like, for example, if I'm talking about white supremacists and they get pissed off, I'm going to carry on because yeah. I'm saying it to piss them off. Yeah. Whereas people understand if you don't make any sound, indifference is really what damages comedians. Or if you want to drive a point home about something they're saying <laughs> that you don't like, indifference Silence. is what will kill us. Silence. Silence. If you go, yeah, and I have it again, and we'll just go, next one. Damn. That will cut me more than any reaction, which is anger. Like, if it's the same way with any kind of relationship. Like, being pissed off when someone comes around shows you still they still have a control of you emotionally. If someone you broke up with or you hate comes around, the other's like, eh. Mm. That's when you're you're P past People it. think like that's the worst thing that happened in comedy is getting booed. No, no, it's, no, it's, it's silence. silence. If people are just like, eh. If you say something, they just go, eh. 
Yeah. Some guy did that to me once, you know, in Bristol. I was in prison doing junglers on yeah. the weekends. And the night was bad from the beginning. And it was me, Janie Godley, um, oh, what's the guy's name? Rob something, an older comic. And I think it was, um, yeah. But anyway, it was in Bristol in prison and at a time when junglers started moving into all these big super venues that weren't purpose-built for comedy. Yeah. And the first guy Rob goes on and he's having a stinker because I remember he referenced UKIP negatively in the crowd like, UKIP, yay! Mm -hmm. so we, we, in we Bristol? In, in Bristol, yeah. It was a stag dude was there as well. Because uh, Bristol's like a stag dude town as well. Yeah, yeah. And it's also in a prism. So, yeah. like, people would... Prism, remember, not prism. prism. So, yeah. Like uh, the old Oceana. Yeah, exactly. Part of the whole thing. Oceana flares, the whole... Well, yeah. The various circles of hell. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> light broiling. Yeah, yeah, basically. Light broiling. And um, you didn't go well... He has started getting onto somebody in the audience for being ginger, which kind of defeated what he was doing anyway, but I think he was having a rough time anyway. Then he left for another gig and I had to, I had to go on and the crowd basically lost trust in the night. Yeah. So this guy got up and I could hear him taking drinks orders from his friends. And so and then there was another guy that basically was doing a shitload of coke and they'd had they had Tony Montana on their polos. <laughs> as a part of like a 15 men stag do. Okay. And if you got 15 men with Tony Montana on there, you can imagine Someone's what they're doing holding. between shows. Yeah, so they were absolutely- You need a bad guy like me. Yeah, basically he was changed off and- uh, Yeah, it, wor it worked out in the end. But yeah, I definitely remember like, yeah. Seeing that people don't give a fuck about who's there. The worst yeah. show I ever done was like, this year it was like to a group of like 50 plus older black people in Birmingham. Mm -hmm. And it was just- a drum. Yeah. Ah, uh, Mike, you should have asked uh, me first, buddy. Uh, I would have told you. <laughs> yeah, Baba Tunde, unless you know, he told me like, yeah, that, that, and he was just giving me that disappointment. Yeah, yeah, don't get, take it personal, man. <laughs> it's a baptism of fire, man. I died on my fucking what, ass at the drum. What, what's uh, what's the crowd at the drum? Uh, So the drum is normally a night, is it upfront comedy? I don't yeah. Think, I don't think that works with the up thing. Oh, am I? No, I'm just stuck here. Hold on one second. But yeah, the drum, like I, I, I don't want to say promote, but it was just like the demographic is very it's much older. It's an older crowd. They're not necessarily that happy about it. They, <laughs> they no, like I'm not sure if you know elderly Caribbean or Afro-Caribbean people. They haven't come here to hear what your young ass thinks. <laughs> uh, John Simic compares. Yeah, yeah. And John Simic is like a comic, comedic actor from Teletubbies, but like he can get a response for himself. Yeah. Whether or not he can get the energy for you is a different thing entirely. Oof. Also, if you're opening, it's tough. It's tough. It's like, you know, you can put all the milk and peanut butter you want in this porridge. It ain't getting that warm. It's brittle. Yeah, it's brittle. Yeah, this is, this is like when the porridge is like hard into like the size yeah. of the thing. And like, I'm gonna have to soak this bowl just to wash this shit. Yeah. Some older black guy came up to me after the show. He's like, you know where you went wrong? You should have worn dress shoes and some slacks. And I'm like, really? Is that? Who the fuck? I, I don't I mean, even know what slacks are. Mike, I got like ten years on you. If you ask me about slacks, I don't know where the fuck to get slacks from either. Where do I get slacks? And how would that have helped the performance? And we, and this was last week where it was hot as fuck. <laughs> so why do you need slacks? I don't know. But see, that just gives you an idea of like in that environment, you knew even if putting like your dick was part of your repertoire, you wouldn't have done it there. Yeah. But that's a perfect example of what indifference looks like. It, yeah. yeah, it's not great. But the, the only compliment I got was like, you did your time. You know when someone's trying to find like, yeah, yeah you did 20. You were you punctual. Know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what, Mike? Sometimes that's what it takes. Yeah. Unfortunately, that, that kind of experience in comedy, you can't buy it and you can't shortcut it. 
and it's for me it's like getting a purple heart you i would have uh, because there should be like a, a a heart with a drum on it because i've done that as well young younger me would have cracked i think the worst part is because like there's no they don't darken the lights or anything no so no no no. when no. you leave you're just walking past the same people that you yeah. just bomb past then you look over like trying to get a laugh at this table and there's the, the, there's like a lady with cerebral palsy there <laughs> Kara, and you're like well what do you think and, and, and even they're like <laughs> oh, the wheelchair so you, oh so you oh so you can move <laughs> i wanted to just make sure and check because you said you would punch someone up for surprise dick in a show if someone put a dick out in front of me i might get but that I dick mean, out like, my if face. it's on stage surprise but vagina it, though surprise vagina even I, i've been groped on stage really that's the point i was to make as well that like by the same token you have the right to vote with your feet and leave if you see something on stage you don't like or is offensive to you you can leave and like i said that if you lodge a complaint or you make your complaint public then people are also free to either go for themselves to decide if they'll be offended or not go and so the only real punishment if they are saying that jerry sadowitz did something wrong on stage would be having poor attendance yeah if there are people that are going to go and see him and his act doesn't cause any direct harm or loss to any other human being he has a right to express himself but at the same time and at the same time he also has the right that if he does something he shouldn't be attacked on stage because it's a comedy show and you know you're, you're, you're not even free attack people you're, 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 yeah you're free to express, express yourself so like for me like i've had someone come up to the stage and I was massively offended by that. A, because security job is to make sure that doesn't happen in the first place. Yeah. But again, for me, it's like, you have the right to leave. So if I say something you don't like, to approach me on stage. But I mean, you know, I try to come with good vibes. And I I never set out to offend people anyway. And I think it's very weird comedians are gauging how well it works by if they're offending people. But that's based on what I said to you before, that sometimes people are trying to get a rise. Mm. And that's why I say to audience, if you want somebody to see that you don't like what they're saying as a comic, indifference is the best way to go. Yeah. If you don't, if you don't give a shit, you're just like whatever. You start talking that, or having a conversation with your friend, or just not paying attention. Or if I can see a blue light from your face from your phone, that is going to work much better than you trying to aggress touch me on stage. Yeah, it's done. That's worse for our egos. Whereas, like, there's certain people I don't mind pissing off, but at the same time, yeah, I'm just saying, you know, in the wake of like, you know, Will Gate. Mm. Do not approach me on stage, man, woman, or child. If your hand child, they might have just wandered up. He will kick your toddler in the face. I'll get, I'll get one of my, my baby kids to take care of that. <laughs> I <laughs> keep some on retainer, yeah, yeah, exactly. I run a little crash of crips, <laughs> little crip crash. No, but uh, yeah, um, I've been groped on stage by a woman, yeah, by a woman, and what the reaction happened? was not as uh, bad as it should have been. I was doing a charity show in Farringdon, mm -hmm. and uh, she was being very talkative. And I already warned her about talking on stage. And then she'd relaxed. And, but she was still like quite fidgety. So I was kind of like, because it was a very small audience. And uh, it was enough where I was like, you could come on stage. What do you want to say? And she grabbed my dick. Really? And what was the audience reaction? Not, they didn't really react, to be honest with you. Would you do you not get mad at the audience? Like, you fucking... Patrice O'Neill used to say, do they? We get mad at audience more than the person I think I get heckling. it. I'll put it down to experience that, mm. like, not all... That's, that's only a one left field's... Yeah, uh, reaction. So, yeah, I don't think... Most people don't expect that. Yeah, like, yeah. For you to, so even I was initially taken there's back... There's always one white woman like, that's not on. You can't do that. There was. Okay. She, and I, we're still friends to this day. <laughs> Shout out to Toots. <laughs> Shout out to Toots Barbara. So, so she was like, this shit is not okay. But, um, yeah... Treated like a fucking male stripper at Chocolate City. Damn. But yeah. Um, so Andrew Tate. Andrew <laughs> Tate. Yes. So let him, let, him, let him do his thing and he'll have his audience. If it's not him, it'll be someone else. I don't know if that's a good... My, my, my point, that's my point, is that like, what are we actually attacking him for? Because if it is about just have him trying to normalise misogyny and sexism, there are a number of institutions that do that anyway. 
Like, I'm not worried about Andrew Tate. I um, listen to Lil Boosie on Vlad. Right. Is that? Yeah. I mean, porn is free on the internet. Porn can be streamed. The most extreme scenes you could ask for of any category is available online. So if men want to see a version of a woman being objectified or degraded, they don't need to go to Andrew Tate and pay towards his uh, cash app or anything like that for that. that is, the internet is replete with aesthetics and media that is demeaning women. That's why I only watch female-friendly porn. Yeah. I mean, also for me, like Andrew Tate, someone said it best when I was speaking to him, Andrew Tate looks like what a 14-year-old would make their Grand Theft Auto character look like. <laughs> That's what he looks like. He, he looks like he, he looks like... Whenever you watch a film, the protagonist tries to go into a club and there's a security guard who says, you can't see Mr. Salamanca now. That's what Andrew Tate looks like. He just looks like a grunt. Bodyguard number three. Yeah, he looks yeah. like bodyguard number three. He looks like, like even his, his look is so nondescript. He looks like the kind of guy where they put a dummy with sunglasses on and they drove the car over a cliff. Like, it's so insignificant. Also, I would say as well, it's really down to context. Like, I am somebody, like, when I see someone who talks about how much millions they can make through doing crypto or millions they make doing real estate... When I look on your Instagram page, if you're just sitting on like McLaren F1s and standing outside mansions, I'm inclined not to believe you. Yeah. Because the people who are most rich, I don't know what car Jeff Bezos drives. I've never seen it. Well, first of all, he won't drive it. There you go. When you are <laughs> It'll be one rich, of the minivans that ASAP yeah. Rocky rents. Exactly <laughs> the point. ASAP Rocky will drive, drive a minivan because it shows you that he is aware that this allows me to achieve quantity and quality yeah. so when and he probably leases it, so when Andrew Tate is like I'm going to have all these women and women are just supposed to do this and do that like no <clears throat> one who lives in the real world can endorse this narrative because for a start like you never hear women saying I find Andrew Tate sexy yeah and I and even if they did I wouldn't uh, there wouldn't be a problem with it but in the last year I've seen I've seen Boris Johnson with more women than Andrew Tate more women than me there you go. There we go. There you go. And so, like, it's it's one of these things where I just think the internet is just waiting for the don't try this at home that we had to put on TV programs. Yeah. That's and what the internet needs. I mean, Andrew Tate, I think, is entertaining. Yeah. If you take him at, if you don't take him at face value. And we're all adults here, and so it, for us, it's not going to resonate with you. Yes. Whereas, I guess, I imagine if you're a 14-year-old kid and you are becoming to get to grips with your hormones and your carnality, and, you want, and also you are, at the same time, You've been bombarded with images where you are told, as a male, your self-worth is linked to your material possessions, your amount of capital you have, and your sexual proclivity with women and how successful that Every is. Every generation of men grow exactly. up Exactly. Everyone. That's my point. We all are. So it gets to the point where you realise, obviously, if I just spend time trying to fuck women all day, either I'm going to get someone pregnant or I'm going to get chlamydia. You just Naturally. talk to them as people. It's a matter of time. Well, there you go. And it's just a matter of time before you realise, oh, or you get to the point where when you actually get into a relationship with a woman, you kind of realise, oh, you know what? If I actually just learn to speak to somebody and actually articulate whatever desires I have, with a consenting person that respects me, they'll probably do it. So you get to the point where you're like, you take it with a pinch of salt at some point in time. Like, you know, and I just think people worry that Andrew Tate's got a terrible message and blah, blah, blah. There's been terrible messages for years. Like, I don't think the Andrew Tate message is no less damaging than the message that Disney has taught women for years as well. The same message that you get on Friends. Like, if you're a white person who's living in London, at the end of your 30s, you probably won't find a fucking husband. And you won't hang out with your friends that and much. You won't. Have, you won't. And, and also, you ain't going to be able to live in a place where you could just walk into someone's apartment and they ain't going to have that kind of space. <laughs> yeah. 
you know, or even in like and working in a cafe is not going to afford you. Uh, Precisely, New York same York. as people. You know, a lot of girls were weaned on sex in the city, and as a result of which, a lot of women went into debt trying to mimic the same mm. kind of lifestyle. Not also, with friends, that much fucking within the friendship, it wouldn't last. It'll be beef. It, wouldn't last. it will be beef, especially there's two siblings in that motherfucking You're fucking group. fucking my sister. Just, yeah, come and on. All, no, come on. Are you yeah. hiding, hiding it from me? Come this on. Is, this, also, this like, don't own a monkey. Yeah. yeah. In, in in an urban it's situation. Cruel. It's, it's very not, cruel. Yeah. It's very cruel. And uh, so how long have we done, by the way? Long. Okay. <laughs> we're, gonna, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna we might have to wrap up here, man. That's we, absolutely fine. It's my fault. Whenever, ready, like, like, whenever also like I I've never actually had a problem with friends not having any black friends. Just like I didn't I didn't No, they I'll be surprised if they did. <laughs> it's, it should be called white people. <laughs> and I, I feel like when you watch Friends. Light Friends. Yeah. White Friends. White Friends. White it friends. should be called White Friends. Because um, that being said, you know, Phoebe was homeless for a year and she lived in the YMCA <laughs> yeah. in New York and doesn't have any black friends, which seems very dubious if you were busking on the subway. Yeah. And Joey Tribbiani is an Italian-American who is also based in New York, who has been chasing a career in acting in New York for years. Again, the fact that these two alone don't have black friends. It's crazy. It's crazy. Like, you're telling me that no basketballers ever came into Bloomingdale's and tried to fuck Rachel? Yeah. This is why you don't believe everything you see in the media, man. Don't believe yeah. Don't try this at home. Like, Andrew Tate is a professional bullshitter, and if he was getting that much pussy, he wouldn't have time to do two-hour streams, would he? Wow. And that is what we're going to end... <laughs> B-Tech Philosophers on, man. Thank you so much for our guest lecturer, Dane Baptiste. Man, Dane, do you have anything you'd like to promote? Um, yeah, I'd just like to say, first of all, thank you very much for having me on the show as a guest lecturer. Uh, I just want to send out some some uh, love and light to Elliot Steele. I hope your recovery is swift and full. Um, uh, and I'd like to say, if anyone wants to hear any more philosophies, you can catch uh, me and an episode with uh, OD Mike on... Uh, Dane Baptiste questions everything. Please. Available on Spotify and Acast. Um, and also, yeah, I have a uh, web series called The Ages of Blackness, which is on my <laughs> channel, so please check that out. But go to any of my social media and check out my link tree, and you can find out all things Dane there. Thank you again for having me on the a show. Deep treasure trove of work to uncover <laughs> once you get into Dane right there, man. This has been B Tech for Mooch, anything you want to you wanna shout out? Come down to the club. Come down to Voxel Comedy Club. Me, go watch my comedy special, Amazon Prime, Black Please Bears do check Mar. that out, yeah. Black Bears Mar, a hilarious show. Oh, uh, thank you great so stuff. Much. Uh, and hopefully, uh, we'll, we'll be back next week, man. See you guys <laughs> later. <laughs> B Tech for <Philosophers. laughs> Just, uh, it's a good time. Yeah. Good time. So that, 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 you brought the roof down. Flew by. Oh, thank you for coming on, man. That uh, was any time, bro. That was sick, man. That was super fun. That was super fun. Oh, shit. UK inflation hits 10.1% high. <laughs>